0: welcome to episode 406 of the Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast being recorded on the 27th of September 2022. I'm Marsh Davis and I'm joined for this devilish episode by the Archdemon himself, Jamie Britton. Hello. <laughs> we have a, a slate of deeply evil games to discuss this evening several in which involve the horrific invasion of our reality by creatures from some other dimension, and uh, one which uh, epitomizes our own source of evil within our very own banal world. (laughs) Is that fair to say? Absolutely it is, yeah. (laughs) Where would you like to start? Would you like to start on Earth or uh, in space? (laughs) <laughs> or it's wherever the I don't know, new devil dagger star game is set i don't know where that is Doesn't oh yeah nice though
1: that game is set uh everywhere and nowhere i think all at once so yeah i've been playing hyper demon uh which is a new game came out in the last couple of weeks um by the same developer as uh devil daggers so they're called Sorath. they're pleasingly uh obscure no one knows anything about them or who they are or if it's one guy or a bunch of guys or, or what really, um, I have fond memories of, um, <laughs> yeah, I have fond memories of David because one of the first things I heard talked about on a, a great podcast called Crate and Crowbar a few years ago, and everyone was bickering on that episode about their high scores. Um, <laughs> and I ended up buying it and realizing I wasn't even measuring up to the, <laughs> the most modest, um, High scores on there. But yeah, so Hyper Demon dropped out of nowhere, which I love. I love it when a game just takes you by supply, surprise completely. And seeing on Twitter, like, oh, it's Devil Daggers 2, essentially, is just great. Um, and it is uh, Devil Daggers 2 in all but name. It has the same basic structure, a bunch of the same assets, even some of the same sound effects, but it is everything kind of multiplied by. Insanity. <laughs> I mean, it's an extraordinary game, really. You're still, as in Devil Daggers, you have a sort of arm, sword, gun thing that you're shooting horrific beasties uh, and trying to kind of get a high score. Um, but uh, beyond that basic structure, there's all sorts of kind of new mechanics and new um, ways of moving and new types of monster and stuff like that that just turn it into an experience which is like devil daggers on drugs and that is such a banal cliche but i think this might be the one time (laughs) it's absolutely the right one to use because it is like you've accidentally ingested an entire um manson party you know manson family party cult uh you know cache of drugs um and have been forced to play um you know uh nerf ball (laughs) and this is how your your optic nerve is interpreting it through the through the visage of uh, horrible hallucinogens because it is such a colossal explosion of color and um sound and uh perspective you know there's got this kind of incredibly weird field of view mechanic um which i don't understand even slightly um, and as in Devil Daggers, you are just plunged straight into quite literally hell, I think, and tasked with staying alive for as long as possible. Uh, it's distinct from Devil Daggers in some really interesting ways. One of the most interesting is that it doesn't just tick up as a survival game as um, as Devil Daggers does. You know, Devil Daggers is about staying alive for as long as you can in Hyper Demon. Um, Well, first of all, it has an ending, so there is an ending that you can see, um, but also it doesn't have a timer going up, at least not in the conventional sense. What it has is a timer that's perpetually going down, going into minus figures, and the more you kill, and the more you kill quickly and efficiently, your seconds are added um, onto the timer, um, which is kind of hard to explain, but it, it makes sense when you're playing it that It's asking you to kind of be incredibly aggressive and tactical about how you're pacing yourself so that you can have those numbers ticking up. I mean, my record, I think, is 13 seconds. Um, Someone on the Discord has uh, 70 odd or something like that, 75, 76, I think. The world record, which I just watched on YouTube, is 330 seconds or something like that. Um, and is almost completely impossible to watch without feeling like you're about to develop epilepsy. Um, so, and you have, a, you have a kind of, um, you can switch this bit on and off, but you have a kind of par setting. So it will tell you if you're above and below your best timing for specific moments. Um, but I find that far too stressful because it's always down. And you get this weird situation where you can sort of end up staying alive your 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 numbers are high if you die when your numbers are high then your time is going to be better than if you die and you've just been playing really badly and your numbers have gone into the minus figures so it's this really unforgiving brutal scoring system mm-hmm. um that you know kind of really challenges you to just give up <laughs> you just kind of like well I'm t- it's really it's really unforgiving. Um, and though the game itself, there's lots of there's tutorials in it, which Devil Daggers
0: itself oh, never yeah. had. Um does so not just... seem somehow fitting <laughs> with its whole? Its no, whole
1: vibe. It, it, it's like the devil making you a sandwich before he commits <laughs> yourself to hell. It's <laughs> just, just like right, if you finished, right in you go. Um, uh, but it's 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 good because there's a there's a bunch of stuff um, which was hidden in Devil Daggers, which you'd never know really unless you'd really kind of experimented with it, like how your you know your your bullets, your daggers bounce off the floor and stuff like this um in hyper Demon, there's all sorts of stuff like you can sort of do an incredible rocket jump which gives the game all sorts of verticality you can also sort of body slam enemies which propels you up into the air it's got a lot more of a sense of height this game you're constantly being hurled skyward and and charging into you know disgusting geometric um goblin monsters um and exploding out of them you know in, in a in a shard of uh, light and butterflies and stuff like that. Um, and so, and it also has a laser gun that you can fire and gems to collect. And I mean, <laughs> it's it's an amazing thing. And like, it's a real hardcore game. You know, it's it's a game for people who kind of hate themselves and want to sort of overwhelm themselves with horror um, and try and kind of master that horror in order to, to you know... Um, beat a bunch of random people on the internet. Um, I will never get anywhere with it. Um, but it does well at like, when you beat your own time, it shows you edging up the leaderboard with a little bit of ceremony, which I appreciate. You know, you get a little bit of a pop to it, which again, Devil Daggers has never had. It just kind of like, uh, matter of factly, you know, just did that. So there's like these like concessions to friendliness. Um, though I think as Chris Thurston said, it does still feel like, like a game that's fallen out of a porthole through hell and is some sort of haunted ring-style <laughs> video game from 1996 or something, you know, in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great. It's, uh, it's, it's a real experience. And um, I can't quite um, emphasise enough how disorientating it is to play, but how much fun it is when you get up a sense of momentum going. So like, Am I
0: right in thinking that you can sort of see behind you at all times? Like oh, there's, yeah. a field of view is like th- somehow 360?
1: Yeah, and actually works really well. It's really intuitive in this kind of crazy way. that when the beasties are encroaching, you know, from behind, they appear in front of you outlined in red, um, which sounds confusing but just isn't actually. It, it makes a lot of sense. And actually that was always a thing I didn't like about... Um, devil daggers was that the people that came in the people <laughs> the, the horrible monsters that kind of would come in behind you it sometimes seemed a little bit unfair because you had to really have the sound up high to kind of um if you would missed something like that whereas this game yeah obviates that problem so again this is weird quality of life um, improvements um uh in what turns out to be probably a much more challenging um, game than its its
0: predecessor. Hmm. Um, is it still wave-based? wave, uh, wave based? Like The first game, you, the longer you last, the more kind of different horrors you have to face. But in a game which isn't necessarily dependent on playing longer to be better, is, is it still... Do the en- enemies get introduced in that kind of orderly way still?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, actually. That's kind of a mysterious element to it because the uh, with the timer mechanic the faster you're killing and the more damage you're doing and the more your seconds are going up i know that that increases the spawn rate with of all the of all the various monsters so i guess i think with devil daggers it was always the same things would happen and it essentially was about being able to kind of choreograph your moves um and and recreate them i think in this one uh, I ex- I expect that what they've done is taken away that as a crux and made it so the, mo- the better you're doing, the more different a given run is going to be. Um, that's my guess anyway because definitely I know that uh, you know that killing more causes more to spawn and therefore yeah, that suggests that there would be more variation across different runs. It does, kind of, it does also kind of feel like dancing in a really mad way. It feels like you're learning a dance step, you know, to be able to swivel yourself forward so that you can shoot at the ground and fire yourself up into the sky and then shoot a bunch of beasties on the ground and then like body slam yourself down and then throw yourself across the level and collect a power up so you can
0: fire your laser. It,
1: it, it feels weirdly like chaotic
0: nightmare line dancing, yeah? Happy hardcore night at the Cardiff Wreck.
1: Yeah, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's exactly that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I really I really enjoy it. And I'll probably kind of I often find with games like this, they're quite fun to, like, leave alone for months at a time and then come back to and,
0: hmm.
1: you know, have a play and then leave them again. You know, it's I always found Devil Daggers really kind of... If I just wanted to kill shit. It was a good game to to fire up. It's also got that glorious, like, you press the restart button, the game restarts, then <laughs> it doesn't mess around. Boom, there you go, hmm. um, which I always... It does look
0: incredible. I I, uh, I felt like I was going to get a nosebleed just by looking at the trailer. So I haven't actually downloaded it yet. But I did I did enjoy Devil Daggers. I might give this a punt. But I I don't know that I have it in me anymore, Jamie. I think my my skills have atrophied to the point where these games are basically uh basically unplayable to me. It's
1: so compulsive. It's that thing where you know edging seconds up. You know, almost in that kind of. It, it's actually a lot like playing um. Uh, super hexagon it's almost exactly the same vibe as that where you're like oh just a little further just a little further and then you go on tilt and you do like 10 terrible runs in a
0: row you know it's
1: it's kind of got that same sort of thing.
0: would you like to talk about uh the evil within or the evil within your child's school
1: <laughs> yeah okay i'll talk about the evil that lurks within my child's school so um my daughter is uh, I'm going to think for a moment, she's six years old and she is in, uh, she is at a primary school, very nice local primary school and they are given and as I understand this as I understand that this is fairly common and I think this game is played across the country, she is given as part of her maths curriculum a game called Numbots. Now Numbots is a an app that you can play on a browser or on a phone or on a tablet and what it is is a It's to help them learn their basic maths, and it has uh, robot-themed maths puzzles, um, you know, which at the stage she's at, and I've been playing it with her, are very, very simple, you know, show you two uh, little nuts, um, as in nuts and bolts, that is, Um, and, you know, it'll say how many are here, and you work your way through various levels. Now, I was kind of Pleased by this when she first started playing it because it was it's very well presented, it's very friendly, um, you know it's 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 pleasingly kind of welcoming. I think robots is a good choice for children because they're you know there's none of the kind of gendered stuff that is often so you know um, everywhere with these things, and it's not pirates. Everything's fucking pirates these days. So I'm happy to see some robots, but investing the game a little bit, it's it's terrible because <laughs> what the game has. <laughs> Is um, uh, first of all, it has leaderboards, so you can see all of the children in your child's class and globally all the children in the you know the world playing this game uh, under pseudonyms. So they give your child a sort of robotic pseudonym and a robotic avatar called something like you know Nazi bolts Armageddon machine. It wouldn't be called that, but I couldn't think of anything. Um, <laughs> Um <laughs> they don't have lovecraftian names. Um uh and so they you can see that and they have their little robot avatars. And what you can do is the more mass puzzles you solve, the more currency you earn that you can then spend on um uh items of clothing and new bits of what do you call that again marsh they call them the um what do you call it I've I've completely blanked on the word that is the word I you've erased is... it from my mind as well somehow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was it was in my head as you started saying, yeah. that, and then then by questioning it, you I reached like into it's... my brain and <laughs> pushed it away. Absolutely, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, I mind invaded you. Uh, calm. It's like su-
0: superficials, <laughs> like
1: what is it? It's like <laughs> uh, uh, cosmetics. Cosmetics, yes. Cosmetic oh. items, and God, what happened there? Um, yeah. <laughs> cosmetic uh, um, items for your robot, and so they've basically made Fortnite, but with maths. And, and without the ability to like pay <laughs> pay to win or pay for those things, which is good because it's you know it's all part of the school stuff. Mm. But I understand why they've made it that way because you know these things are very tried and tested, and you know there's a uh, you know a lot of kids love um, you know Fortnite and games like it, and that kind of essentially kiddie battle pass is you know. Um, it's it's probably the most obvious way to do this, but I just think, I think it's a bad thing to 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 do this. Basically, <laughs> like I've been very careful about how much I've exposed um, my daughter to uh, video games, and part of the reason for it is that I know very well how addictive they are, and particularly how addictive they are when they have a kind of false progression system in them, which rewards repeated play. And mm. just because that's to the goal of teaching them maths, that doesn't mean it's alright, I think. I think it, it I think it's a way of learning that's purely transactional that that is just a little bit cynical and a little bit cheap. And I, I wish they hadn't done it that way. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's tricky. I think I think educational software has a duty to um, you know, not do the shitty things that that video games do to ensnare children into a kind of gameplay loop which will ultimately end in them spending some money again mm. even even for an educational purpose so yeah i was and, I, and also of course because i'm such a fucking terrible game nerd myself i can't help myself with it as well it's come i'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm you know I, I let her have her a lot of time on it and then i can't help sneaking a look at the leaderboard and then like oh it's only like you're like Seven times three is 21. Yes, get in there. (laughs) Get wrecked, six-year-olds. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, it's so compulsive that even I am kind of uh, locked into it. And also, it just kind of, as a lot of these things are, and I think as most people who've tried to learn something through an app can attest, ultimately they're probably not the best teaching tools, really. I mean, how many people have actually learned a language from that owl? Um, I mean, possibly lots of people, but I, I do think that <laughs> you probably need to be taught things by a person rather than a, like a reward system for mice <laughs> uh, in a tube that, you know, in order to do. these things.
0: Yeah, I think, um, well, you're talking about Duolingo there, which is the, the language learning gamified app. Um, and I think to some extent the gamification, uh, like all these things are fine in in certain quantities when kind of well-tuned and well-directed and in sync with the natural motivations that you have as a learner. But then there's a certain point at which the gamification of particularly Duolingo just clashes with its, its motivation because it does things like um, damaging your level of progress in a way which is quite demoralizing. Um, and I, I remember when I was, I was using it a few years ago, it, uh, it did things to sort of, um, punish your inattention or, um, it, and, and cause I was, I was traveling across time zones quite a lot at that time. Uh, it wasn't very good at working out which day you had completed. <laughs> and so sometimes it would, it would say, yeah, you missed a day and then it would knock you back all this way, um, through its ranks. And actually I, f- I found that, um, really disheartening <laughs> um but but in other ways i i guess it was drawing me through by giving me um a set of goals to complete per day which not so much about the kind of reward system but in, in, in just a kind of structured uh the kind of ways in which games can structure your learning rather than uh, necessarily kind of giving you positive feedback for doing so but then like you say there's always a point at which um, it would be more useful just to, just to speak to people <laughs> in a language, in a kind of more casual environment where you aren't being fed little peanuts for every correct <laughs> verb. Um, yeah, yeah. I, think,
1: I think it's a hard one because I think the idea of learning something from an app or, or, or something like that, it's kind of antithetical to, you, to kind of the way we think about learning generally. Like we generally think about learning in terms of it's something we do... Um, in a discrete kind of block of time, you know, that's in our day, we'll go somewhere and do it. Whereas when you have it on the iPad or on the phone, it's just kind of, it's something that's always there. And they've made uh, Numbots compulsive enough that, you know, it's so easy for parents to just hand their child an iPad, um, as, as, as I do and as we all do, give them some screen time to kind of give yourself a moment to think and breathe and have a sandwich, but... Again, it it just butts up against the kind of the idea that education is something that you can have on a screen. It's it it feels like it needs like the idea of like sitting down with your child and doing some reading or doing some homework with them feels uh, very different to that. If you know, if that makes any sense, it Mm. it feels like the way of of having it in in an app is just a little bit. um, Yeah, perhaps a bit of a false economy.
0: Yeah, I mean uh, it's hypocritical of me as somebody who's played and enjoyed and written and made games <laughs> for my <laughs> entire life. But um I do worry that the kind of the reward loops of games which when kind of superimposed upon things in uh you know the real world um, give people a false impression about how the real world operates. Um because you know in 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 reality you're not constantly rewarded for, <laughs> for effort. And yeah. games are very good about creating reward in exactly the right quantity for the amount of effort you put in. And in fact, there is not that kind of feed loop in, you know, feedback loop in reality. And, um, maybe certain tasks do not <laughs> benefit from, uh, that, that illusion. I don't, when it comes to learning, like, and obviously we can be high minded about it and say like, well, oh, you should be learning for learning's own reward. Um, and, and I, I'm sure that works with certain things because, um, I know, uh, I feel like I would have been one of the main problems, I think, with kind of education as a child is that you don't know why you're learning any of the things that you're learning. And it's quite hard to sell kids on the fact that this stuff is intrinsically interesting. And, and then you come back to the subjects when you're like 30 or something like that, and you f- find them fascinating because suddenly you've realized the value of that information and why it's interesting. Uh, and it's much easier to kind of motivate yourself to to learn when you're older, even though uh your brain plasticity has completely and nicely um gone south but then i don't but then what do you, what do you do about the subjects that nobody ever wants to learn <laughs> <laughs> like there are some things which are are just not fun to to learn I know there are some people who really enjoy the beauty of maths, but I think for a lot of people it is uh it's it's utilitarian right i mean it's yeah. you 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 have to learn it because you're going to use it not because there is a great deal of intrinsic pleasure in understanding uh the the great beauty of 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 maths. and then i don't know how you really how how do you sell that to a child or an adult that that is something that they need to spend time working on and thinking about
1: it's very hard and i think you know i think my main issue really with it stems from the fact that watching watching my daughter play through the game is is watching her just going through a kind of so far quite easy uh, sort of rote um series of repetitions where nothing's really going in. <laughs> That's the thing. It just feels... Oh, right. It feels a little bit... It, because it's gamified and because it rewards you kind of tapping through and getting through to the next level, it just... It also seems, as an educational act, just very, um, very very low impact <laughs> um, because of that. I mean, I can imagine, actually, that for um, kids who have like certain barriers to learning or things like that, um, who don't have an easier in in the classroom it might be a really useful tool i just think that generally it's it's too it's too um uh, the the kind of rhythm of it is kind of hypnotic
0: <laughs> and i think that's a bit of a problem mm. has she um expressed a desire to have other things gamified like is she is she frustrated when you read her a book because she's not getting hats out of it <laughs> oh
1: my god! How terrifying would that be <laughs> to have to explain to her that in real life, if you want to buy cosmetic, if get cosmetic upgrades, you have to go out and buy them, and it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, thankfully, I mean, it's it's again, it's funny because one of the first things they'll tell you if you're having you know problems with your child in any way, behaviors or stuff like that, they will tell you to make a reward chart. That's the first thing anyone will say to you: make make a reward chart and show it to them and. And every time they do a good thing, put a star on it, and at the end of it, they get a they get a present. So you basically make a season pass for your house, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, give them unlockable awards as you go along. Um, but that doesn't work with my child. It never has done. We never get anywhere. All we end up doing is focusing on the reward itself rather than the the, the issue at hand. Um, and maybe that's why you know Numbots doesn't seem like her. Like it's going to work for her because she's she's a child who's very fixated on reward. Although as I am told, most of them are you know do that. But still, it's mm-hmm. it's an interesting one because yeah, reward charts have never worked for us particularly well. Um, whereas I know other parents swear by them.
0: Could you could you see a way in which Numbots could be uh, redesigned so that it would take out some of that kind of compulsive loop? But Maintain some appeal in the fact that it's basically a puzzle game. Is that? Do you think that's pos- possible?
1: I think I think the leaderboards do something I don't like. <laughs> yeah, I think I think if the leaderboards weren't there and they'd slightly rethought how the kind of coin currency worked, I think I'd feel much more comfortable about like you know building their own little robots. But the fact of the matter is, is they're put in a little market. They can compete with their friends. There's no like um, there's no way to like, uh, stop them from looking at their place on the leaderboards and looking at the other kids robots and desiring, you know, what their what the other kids have, have dressed their robots up as. So, you know, I think that is the bit that made it all feel a bit unnerving to me.
0: Yeah, I don't, yes, there are some things, I mean, uh, there are many things in society in which competition is crowbarred into, but I, I really feel like, uh, learning maths is one one which does not require competition as a motivational factor i have no, i mean I, i'm i'm particularly kind of averse to to uh competition i'm uh i'm a very sensitive little boy Jamie, <laughs> <laughs> and i don't like being beaten but i also don't particularly like beating friends i don't have too much of a problem of actually trashing a team of you know of complete strangers via the internet that's fine but and never, never particularly enjoyed the kind of social tension of of bettering somebody that you whose emotions you care about to some extent. I definitely don't like being beaten. So, so the idea that uh, you know you'd be motivated by being you know the sense of shame <laughs> from being lower down on a leaderboard is, is doesn't seem like that would work for me. Certainly,
1: yeah, right, because you can still see where you are on the leaderboard, you know. And there's there's one kid on there who's got like a hundred thousand more points than the person in place two, so they're clearly someone who's played it a huge amount compared to everyone else. Mm. <laughs> um, which is which is what leaderboards are like, isn't it? And and I, and I don't think he's hacked it. That's what people always say. It? It's like, oh, that person hacked the game to uh,
0: yeah to increase their score. I think that's I know better. If you were it. to to um poll the various kids on their level of motivation you'd find very different answers from the top third of the leaderboard than you would from the bottom third absolutely right? i mean absolutely. that's going to be so demoralizing <laughs> See, if what if you're the last kid yeah, right at the bottom brutal. you're like well imagine, okay imagine well you're that
1: last kid it's just terrible and of course the thing is you this is the insidious thing like you wouldn't be the last kid if you just kept playing because the questions are easy enough and the game is brute forcible enough to actually not be good at distinguishing people at all you know it's not a leaderboard of quality it's a leaderboard of how much you've played the game and that is a fault again it's completely false it's not who is best at maths it is who has played the game most and like i'm not saying either of those things are um, are, you know, I don't think they should be graded on how good they are at maths in a list when they are five and six years old. You know, that seems Orwellian and nightmarish. But I also think that if you're going to do it, you better not just be pretending to do it. I think that's, you know, that's, mm. that's cheeky. <laughs> cheeky is the word. <laughs> <laughs> some would say cheeky. Some would say evil. Evil, Jamie. evil. Mm. God, imagine when voting's done this way. <laughs> oh, God. Good. <laughs>
0: Can I talk to you about another evil game? Please do. I'm going to talk to you about Proteus or Prodeus. I've been
1: calling Maybe. it Produce, which I imagine produce. is like is a, <laughs> it's like a farmer's market uh, simulator, which I definitely want to play now. <laughs> uh,
0: yes, uh, well, I mean, calling it Produce at least helps you distinguish it from Proteus, which is a very different game. Yeah, uh, that's a well, that's a first-person game about walking through nice fields, whereas. Prodeus or Prodeus or Produce is a fucking bloodbath. <laughs> so <laughs> very different. Uh yes, yeah, so you're just, you know, relentlessly dismembering exploding creatures from hell or space or somewhere in between. Um you're a soldier man, I guess. You've gone to a planet, and you're gonna fight back the forces of chaos, which are demons. Uh they've invaded. Well, that's bad. Um, if that story sounds familiar to you, Jamie, <laughs> or perhaps just extremely basic, then that's because Proteus is um, styling itself after uh, the, the days of Quake and Doom, where you know men were real men and monsters were 2D pixel art sprites that had uh, a very limited number of animations. Um, the so-called boomer shooters out there, in fact, which I think is a very misleading name, because you know I played Doom when it was fresh and new and i'm not i'm not a boomer i'm not part of the immediate post war generation
1: only a true boomer would deny his booming, <laughs> boominess.
0: the innumeracy of that neologism aside these are <laughs> these games are trying to ape that frenetic that sort of the simple motivations the style of ripping and tearing uh, that was all the rage back in the 1990s and like they often opt for the same lo-fi technologies of that time because that partly alleviates the burden of development now but it also sort of harkens nostalgically back to the aesthetic that was established by that era's limitations. Um, and a lot of them and Proteus included also throw in modern affordances like both graphical, mechanical and I know this is a bit of a rabbit hole to go down, but I do want to talk about the way that Proteus looks because it is very striking and weird in this regard because it's aping the, the Doom or Duke Nukem era of sprite-based entities, which is to say that like enemies and items in the levels are represented by the um, like animated 2D pixel art uh, within otherwise... like They're just planes of pixels within otherwise three-dimensional low-poly environments. Um. But unlike Duke Nukem, it represents those sprites from quite a large number of different angles so if you're standing over the like the crumpled pile of offal that used to be an enemy, you can sort of move to the left by some number of degrees, and the sprite will switch from being like front facing offal to side offal um <laughs> and so it gives this illusion that it's actually a you know three dimensional object crude though it is because it switches at quite abrupt um angles um And this is something that Games of Yore did, but generally they tried to get away with depicting stuff from as few angles as possible. Um, And, you know, Proteus has a lot more. It not only depicts things from at least, like, I don't know, eight horizontal directions, but it also has multiple levels of elevation. So you can actually stand over the offal and look down at it. (laughs) So that's, that's one thing. The other thing is that these sprites are lit, uh, as though the contours of the creatures were reflecting light from sources within the room, you know, like a 3D model would. <laughs> so, so at first I thought this was just like just crazy, crazy good normal mapping. Um, and normal mapping is when you take like a 2D texture and then you tell the engine how to light it pixel by pixel. I'm sorry, my cat is is yelling at me. She has opinions about Proteus. Um <laughs> And you do that by, you you tell the engine how to light this, this 2D piece of texture by using a separate texture called a normal map, which is the same size as the original texture. But instead of showing each pixel, you know, like each pixel is the different color of a demon's flesh, it's assigning a color to that pixel which represents an angle so that when the engine lights the original texture, from the left, it checks with the normal map, and it says, "Oh, okay, so this pixel is actually angled towards the light," and then it lights the original pixel that little bit brighter, as though it was facing the light. And there's all the all kinds of other maps that you know that work in similar ways that assign levels of shininess to a pixel, for example, and so forth. But it's it's you know it's really notable that Proteus, these these two D pixelated sprites are just insanely well lit and really reactive to lights and They can get like spattered with a gloop and blood and enemies can lose entire limbs and there's still a whole extra animations for that and, you know, all this other stuff. So I was really curious to how they did all this. And the answer is that they didn't, (laughs) (laughs) What they did is is weirdly both a shortcut but also way more complicated. So, and I, I realized this when I noticed in the options menu, there's just an option to turn off the sprite effect and replace anything, everything, with 3D models, because this isn't a sprite-based game at all. It's a fully 3D game, and the sprites you're seeing are, in fact, the 3D models being rendered by the game like in situ with all the lighting interactions that would normally happen, but then they are somehow outputted (laughs) as a flat plane. (laughs) <laughs> which is, it's it's mad. Like, it's it's like the game has done all this work to render these things in real time. Then it's taken a photograph of them and then presented to you the <laughs> photograph because in order to look like a more primitive version of technology, it's it's kind of preventing you from seeing objects from every degree of rotation despite it being perfectly within its power to render them. And in fact, it's faking that it can't do this by supplying... <laughs> Updates to the sprites only at large intervals, so it looks like it's a separate sprite from the side and it's from the front. But they actually both originate from the same 3D model, actually being rendered in. Th- in real- anyway, I, I know this. I'm just spluttering like a fucking maniac here, but I just, I just feel it's such a convoluted way to to get to that that retro aesthetic. And I'm really annoyed at how successful it is, because <laughs> it it looks great. <laughs> is this a weird thing for me? I don't know. Well, no i i I think it I think it's
1: interesting because um, it makes me think. I was just looking up the quote here. It's that thing that um, Brian Eno said uh, once, uh, where he said. Um, Whatever you now find weird, ugly, uncomfortable and nasty about a new medium will surely become its signature. CD distortion, the jitterness of digital video, the crap sound of 8-bit, all of these will be cherished and emulated as soon as they... Can be avoided. It's the sound of failure. So much modern art is the sound of things going out of control, of a medium pushing to its limits and breaking apart. The distorted guitar sound is the sound of something too loud for the medium supposed to carry it. The blues singer with a cracked voice is the sound of an emotional cry too powerful for the throat that releases it the excitement of grainy film of bleached out black and white is the excitement of witnessing events too momentous for the medium um, assigned to record them. Uh, and I always think, I was thinking of that when you were talking about the idea mm. that, you know, you, that is something uh, that you you covet in a game now in this kind of weird, <laughs> in particularly in boomer shooters, but it's, it's elsewhere as well. And, and even in things like, uh, you know, a game like Rares or something like that, which actually has a very, similar concept to what Brian Eno was saying there at its heart, isn't it? Um,
0: yeah. and that the is 2D a... imp is too satanic for the render of 1994, <laughs> yeah. as you might have said. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so I think it is
1: interesting, the amount of, as you say, the amount of work they've gone to to, uh, to create that effect. I mean, I, I I didn't understand any of that, really. All I did, I, I played it for, you know, 45 minutes an hour and had a fucking great time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> It's so silly. It's like, it's a proper Doom-like, a Doom clone, as they used to say. Mm. Um, it's really fast. I really enjoyed the violence and the gore in it. It's got that sort of thing where it will put you in a corridor with a bunch of monsters and you'll start firing. And seemingly minutes will pass and you're still firing. And it's just sort of gallons of blood and limbs um, flying everywhere. Um and yeah, and I, I thought it looked and felt uh, brilliant. It felt mad. I felt a bit like I was playing Marathon, actually, the old yeah. uh, bungee game from the nineties, because it had a lot of verticality, and also the sprite work was quite, um, uh, or lack thereof, was quite reminiscent of, of Marathon. I thought, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So no, I, th- I, I thought it was uh, an absolute hoot
0: yeah it's i mean it uses i mean it's very very indebted to doom in the sense that everything in it is more or less a direct analog from doom obviously the environments are like these hellish tech industrial complexes and you know inexplicable toxic slime factories <laughs> and lava bases and um but the, i mean like you say it does have that that thing where the the levels are kind of large and intricate and clever in in, in ways which are Uh, wouldn't have been possible then because of the level of verticality involved and then the weapons you know they they're also kind of uh direct analogues for for doom weapons but they feel kind of you know deadly and hefty in 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 kind of very satisfying ways obviously there's nothing novel there but like i don't think novelty is the game's purpose whatsoever
1: no it just sort of starts and you immediately know what you're doing (laughs) and there's something wonderful about that um I agree with you about the guns. I particularly like the sort of dual machine pistol thing. Those were uh, immense fun. Oh, the shredders. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have to say, I mean, maybe it's um a uh, a weakness with the arsenal. This is this feels like a kind of thing you would bring up in, you know, in, in in shooter reviews of the era, so uh it's, it's the kind of criticism that sort of died away really in in, in video games but i mean you know when you're talking about the kind of the balance of the different weapons and how much it incentivizes you to use different weapons in different scenarios i don't think it's really nailed that like i found myself using certain weapons much much more than others um and and kind of relying on them as as a crutch um and there's nothing to, there are no kinds of enemies which demand particular strategies i would say nearly everything is uh you know you either you hit it with the most powerful thing you've got or you you know wallop it with something that fast, fires really really fast and then it's you know it explodes um so there's not i don't know that there was the more i played it the kind of less kind of tactically interesting its combat has become but it's still very kind of satisfying and splattery
1: yes it's true isn't it that like I mean, I think uh, with Hyperdemon, it's like what gives that game its kind of glorious rhythm is, is, is the handoff between strategies you need to take enemy to enemy. So in Hyperdemon, some enemies you need to get close to and blast with your sort of shotgun blast. Some you need to take out with a special move, some you need to jump on. And it's the same thing that um, Doom Eternal, I think, was keyed into really well, where one of the ways that you can make your player feel like a demonic um, killing machine uh, dynamo that can't be stopped is by giving them those moment-to-moment switchovers between weapons. And in Doom Eternal, every single gun had its purpose. Every single enemy had its different um, use case. And the game was essentially about chaining those things together. And when it was up and running, it just felt absolutely incredible and got you into a sort of extraordinary like, um, bloodlust <laughs> flow state um but I agree that in in um in Proteus and in a lot of these boomer shooters I've played actually they often have a sort of gun switching mechanic where it will just switch you up once one gun's empty it'll switch you to the next one and the next one and the next one mm. you don't really have to think about it
0: it's um, also divided up by like these ammo classes and you don't really I think there's only one kind of mid-table weapon of the same Anno class that I choose in preference to the, the higher-level one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and it's a shame because some of the weapons do do interesting things. They, some of the weapons do have, like, alternate fire modes, which is, you know, something that uh, I think, was it Unreal was the first game to introduce those? <laughs> I'm not sure. But um, so it's a little ahead of its, its kind of retro niche there by uh, by skipping ahead um five years or so. But then like one of this is like a plasma rifle which fires like a very rapid number of um projectiles. Uh and you can sort of tag an enemy by clicking on it with the right trigger and then fire anywhere and the bullets will arc towards it. But there's almost no circumstance in which that's that is actually that useful or desirable. Um there's a, there's a kind of grenade launcher where you can fire sticky grenades. But like The AI is just coming towards you, man. It's like, (laughs) it's (laughs) not, you don't need to lead them into traps. You just need to blast them apart. It's a... I've not found that any circumstance where kind of you had enough strategic forethought for that to be valuable. It's, it's more efficient just to kind of nail individual enemies in the kind of order of threat that they, they represent and, and just keep on moving like a shark around and around the environment.
1: It's funny because another thing I've been playing recently is Black Mesa, the um, oh, like yeah. Half-Life um, fan remake which is great which is which is really really good and is a really um all the things people say about it are true it's a really loving like tribute and the additions thing. and i'm sort of working my way quite slowly through the early stages of that but it's interesting to think about like what half life comprised um i mean it feels very archaic now in a kind of pleasing way but what it was replacing was, was that kind of mindlessness of, of the doom clones and the games like that and like the way people remember playing them. And I think what the boomer shooters are all trying to kind of um, recreate is that feeling of exhilaration and that feeling of sort of speeding through um, killing things and 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 moving on to the next kind of stage um, as fast and efficiently as possible. And that's also something that comes with the familiarity of, of playing these games over and over again and, and having them exist as, you know, memories and your, you know, nostalgic memories. And I think perhaps some boomer shooters might get a little bit um, lost in that one and end up like kind of recreating a sort of, um, because like Doom could be a very frustrating game. It was really easy to get lost if you didn't mm. know where you were going. The levels were, you know, kind of ingeniously, uh Especially in Doom Two, I seem to remember that the levels all kind of fold back on each other on themselves in this kind of um, really mind-melting way. If you hadn't played them before, and like from what I played of Proteus, at least the game is just like respawn. Right off you go. You know you're never going to be further than a room away of where you were when you die. You know the enemy's health is even still diminished from from where you were. It's got those kind of Vita chambers from Bioshock in it, and so I think that's one aspect of uh uh you know doom and it's like that these games tend not to you know grapple with because they just want you to get in there and start killing um but i I guess it is quite easy to find yourself sort of falling off these because they end up feeling a little bit frictionless
0: yeah it's interesting the level design does do some uh interesting things it is quite um uh, knotty in the way that like Doom Two levels were particularly, but it's it's not uh, it's never opaque. Um, <laughs> it's knotty, but not opaque. I don't know <laughs> what I'm saying now. It's... No, but I I mean I agree, and actually it, it's it's possibly a
1: thing to praise in that like the levels are complex, but they're also intuitive. So you have that complexity, but you're also not too frustrated by um, getting lost. It's that kind
0: of thing where you move yeah, so you fast find, as you. Sorry, you, f- you find as you progress through the levels, I know that your motivation for moving through these levels is always to find, you know, colored key cards as, you know, as per Doom. Um, but then as you kind of move through the environment, it is very good at kind of funneling you a, back into uh, environments that you see again from a different perspective or higher up often, but then also um, towards the sort of, you're, you're never ever lost in this, even though the levels are quite complicated. And I think it does a good job of, there's there's like uh, of changing the environment as you move through the levels whilst also making it clear where your next objective is there's this big level which is in a uh a, you know i alluded to it before a toxic slime factory uh because <laughs> you know uh every colony needs one of those um and as you're uh progressing through the level um You are draining parts of the slime vats. You're filling them, (laughs) and 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 by doing so, you're gaining new kind of uh, access to um, parts of an environment you've already explored. But your way through it is always feels very kind of directed. So you're you're never, even though this this environment ends up being this incredibly non-linear and very vertical space full of lots of different routes. Somehow you are ushered back into it in such a way that you always know where the new part that you haven't explored is and that is actually very sophisticated um and 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 but like you say also not v- maybe there's too little friction in some cases like i mean i think that the friction might come from you searching endlessly for uh the secrets that are uh, that are around the environment uh, i'm not especially uh excited to do that because you know it just seems like a slight, slightly frustrating form of labor where you're just, you know, shooting random walls and hoping that they open up for you. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, maybe, maybe what you say is true, that it's a, uh, a little kind of... It's its desire to have you... Uh, usher you into this fluid murder experience somewhat defeats your level of engagement with the actual environment itself. I don't know. The other thing, the other thing that's interesting is the respawns, though, because uh, unlike this is like very noticeable in this game and almost no others that I've ever played is that the respawns are often in rooms where there are large numbers of enemies. So often, like you enter a room and it's you know it's it's almost the kind of monster closet moment. Uh, that you expect from doom where all the enemies rush out but the trigger for that is actually the respawn point and the respawn point is under assault so if you die in that room you're ushered right back into the thick of it uh and that, that is a that is a that's a, a bold and interesting choice i think um as far as you know <laughs> the limited range of choices you could make within um Apery of uh, of the Doom era.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of appreciated it in that I didn't have to worry about quicksaving or saving or anything like that. Mm. Like, it's funny playing Black Mesa <laughs> and how easily you get back into that kind of 1999 vibe of, you know, right, I shot that enemy, quicksave, I shot that enemy, <laughs> quicksave. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> very weird um, way of playing a game that gladly is, is kind of, you know, much less now. Um, but yeah, I appreciated it in, in, in produce, not having to um, <laughs> worry about quick saving.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to the um, the time when they uh, the zeitgeist moves on to recreating the retro aesthetic of Half-Life 2, um, because then <laughs> they will accidentally still be pushing the genre forward, because Half-Life 2 still remains the best first person shooter. Am I right, Jamie? I think am you I are. Am I right? I think
1: you are right. I think you are. I think you're bloody right. And I think it's about time people start listening to you.
0: (laughs) You've also been playing The Evil Within. Two. Two? Uh, (laughs) How old is that? That's not old enough to be retro, is it? No,
1: no. Although it does have a kind of retro um, sort of uh, uh, element to it, though. Uh, So it's 2017, so quite a while back. Mm. Weirdly enough, there was that game... Oh, God. There was that game that came out recently, which was like a kind of ghost, ghost wire Tokyo. Is that what it was called? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Which started life as a sequel to uh, The Evil Within. It was going to be The Evil Within 3. And then at some point, they pivoted massively and made a game that looks completely unlike it in every single way, which is, <laughs> is very weird. Um, yeah, so The Evil Within 2, uh, I played it on Xbox uh, Game Pass. Um, and it's a very good Xbox Game Pass game, I think. Um it is a survival horror game. Um, uh, and its main director is the guy who did resident evil one and resident evil four. So, um, uh, survival horror, uh, royalty. Um, and, uh, I checked and the evil within one is mostly skippable. People generally agree that evil within two is perfectly standalone and, uh, can be played without playing the first one. So I did that. Hmm. Um, it's great. It's, terrible and great at the same time you play as a hard grizzled detective named Sebastian Castellanos who is a, a man a stressed man <laughs> with a, a dead daughter um, oh, no. and who is asked to go into a thing called the stem which is like a big this is all in the opening so no spoilers which is like a big shared consciousness machine. Um, But the STEM thing can kind of go wrong and people's nightmares can take form. And they do. And the first game, it was like a serial killer's mind that was plugged into it. Um, so a bit like that movie, The Cell, with um, Jennifer Lopez, <laughs> um, yeah. and in this one, it's his daughter is the is the kind of host of this nightmare. So he must travel into this nightmare where a bunch, a team load of people have kind of already gone and, and died to various griblies, Um and he's got to go in and, and rescue his daughter and confront, you know, various um, demons uh, from his own personality and from other people's uh, personality. I just thought, what the hell, I'll give it a go because I've heard good things about it. And what I'll say is that I played the first five chapters, so maybe the first third of the game or the opening act of the game, and I'm now done with it. I'm never going to play it again. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm completely finished with it. Not because okay. I didn't like it, but because I could kind of tell that I was, I'd was got everything I was ever going to get out of it. And I was really satisfied with the experience. So after a kind of... Um, uh, you know, sort of getting to know your tutorial section, you're dumped into this kind of open world, Stephen Kingy um, town space, and kind of given a bunch of tasks to do to track down these signals, track down this team. And the game loop kind of reveals itself to you, which is of a sense of absolute scarcity of resources. Like for most of it, you're wandering around with like one or two bullets for one gun and you might find one more for another one and you can sneak attack the various zombies that arrive, um, uh, on the map. Um, but once you're kind of taking them on with guns, you're incredibly limited with with how you can, how many you can shoot essentially. So you have to explore really, really thoroughly to gather crafting materials to build ammo and to upgrade your weapons and to upgrade your kind of character um, and you're kind of wandering around doing uh, survival horror um, type uh, story st- stuff, trying to track down your daughter. Mysterious people, bloody, bloody, blah. It's all very familiar if you've played a survival horror game before, but it's done with a level of commitment to the basic idea, which I really, really appreciated. I really enjoyed how scared I was to fire a bullet. I really enjoyed how much when I was creeping up behind a zombie to sneak kill them, I was really scared they were going to turn around and jump on me because that would have meant firing one of my two shotgun you know, uh, bullets and stuff like that. And it's really well balanced to kind of give you moments when you're suddenly quite powerful in that you've got like six bullets in your gun um, to then give you a chance to kind of blow some shit up before, you know, post that fight, you're back down to kind of scavenging and trying to put together enough to win your next encounter. Um, so, yeah, I, and, and I kind of, I got into that sort of first section. I thought, oh, man, this is just like that game, like State of Decay. This just feels like a kind of blandy, open world, zombie survival thing. But it's actually, it manages to be a lot more um, authored and creepy than that. Um, so I played through that first section really thoroughly. It makes you explore thoroughly. You know, it doesn't feel like you're collecting, you know, nothing resource to fill your bloopy bar. It's actually, <laughs> you know, it, it feels like a necessary thing that you're doing and you're exploring all these spaces. And there's like a, uh, you walk into a random house and it f- throws you into an encounter with like a ring Ringu ghost, which teleports mm-hmm. you to an asylum and chases you around. And that was really fun and really surprising. Um, you know, and I I gather you encounter her several more times through the game. The enemy design is really, really gross and disgusting. They seem really frightening. There's loads of jump scares which are really, really cleverly conceived that made me laugh, you know, with how they'd they'd organise them and how they play with your expectations over what's going to happen when, you know, you've you often feel like these games have such a strong vocabulary of how the jump scares work. And clearly a huge amount of work has been put into keeping you on your toes and keeping you surprised in a way that I usually hate but because <laughs> I'm not a jump scare type person, but actually I ended up kind of laughing a lot at the game and kind of enjoying how much it kind of shit me up. Um, <laughs> and then at, at the end of that section is a kind of PT style um uh you know, uh, almost kind of walking similar bit where you're um in a kind of horrifying uh corridor of nightmares made by a serial killer who's toying with you. And obviously we've probably all played through those kind of levels quite a lot in recent years, but like you gotta hand it to the evil within two for really going all out on that and really making it a, a like a, a a reward for you know the kind of hardcore survival stuff going on before that and then at the end of that a, a boss um who is a like a <laughs> uh, i'll spoil a little bit here of that first access Skip ahead if you don't want to hear for about a game from 2017 but like the boss of that area is um He is a serial killer who wants to take pictures of people and arrange them in um, horrifyingly violent tableau and display them in an art gallery. So it's all very Hannibal-like. But his, like, disgusting minion is a... She's called Obscura. She is a woman thing, like a naked woman with three legs and a camera for a head like an old-fashioned watch the birdie victorian camera head Mm -hmm. who kind of moans and groans orgasmically whilst chasing you around the level and is really quite alarmingly disgusting and 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 upsetting (laughs) um an absolutely amazingly designed monster and the game's full of those um and once i'd um beat her by shooting her with my various guns um (laughs) and uh exited that level i was kind of like yeah i'm done with the evil within two like that was a really awesome experience that i found quite emotionally draining (laughs) um (laughs) it was really fun killing that disgusting monster um but now i'm done forever with this game and the series which i felt comfortable doing you know there's only so much time in the world and Hmm. you know i I felt really satisfied with the the time i spent with the game and and happy to kind of whiz through the plot synopsis of the rest of it on on wikipedia and go like oh yeah it all turned out exactly as it seemed in the first three seconds of the game like it all played (laughs) out completely predictably
0: so you don't feel like you, you missed out on any you know equally horrid monster designs later in the game
1: uh yeah like that's the one thing i kind of you know um, i mean i can always watch something for that um mm. i think I, I i reasoned that like that wouldn't that wasn't quite enough to keep me there and mm. and it just it, as i say it just felt like a really good game experience like it felt like playing a, a demo or something even though it was like six hours or something like that where it just felt really complete um a, a really complete power curve uh, across a little playthrough and i think it made me think that like That's one of the things that Game Pass is really good for, actually, that you can kind of play through something without feeling like you have to kind of eat your vegetables. You know, you can just play until (laughs) it stops being fun. I mean, that may well be the death of all video games ever, but like for me then, it worked really well.
0: Do you, I mean, do you in general, I mean, you say you don't particularly like jump scares. Are you generally into horror games?
1: Just recently, I've realized I can withstand jump scares a little bit better than I used to be able to. Um... But generally, no, actually. Generally, I don't like, I remember playing like Silent Hill 2, and I'm getting about an hour into it and just thinking like, nope, nope, this is not for me. I can't do this. just like completely broken <laughs> out. So generally, I, I haven't been able to. Just recently, I've realized that I can actually tolerate um, uh, jump scares a little bit better. Um, hmm. So yeah, what I've been enjoying
0: Just, you know, the, the general scarification that occurs during life has <laughs> rendered you immune to horror.
1: Yeah. I mean, sort of. Oh. I, think, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just like I've had a lot of like therapy over the years. And like I think it's like actually helped me not be so terrified of unseen monsters. I mean, perhaps that is too prosaic an explanation, but it, it feels right to me. And I, I, I uh, you know, I, I was always very comfortable watching something that was like creeping terror and, um, but never so much with the the shocking you know payoff but actually now I've started to enjoy it which is which means there's a whole bunch of stuff I've never seen that I need to now go back and like collect um in serial killer fashion
0: and <laughs> <laughs> you, and you said you're done with the series so if there was a if there was an evil within 3 would you uh, be intrigued by it
1: no it's it's too silly.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, so does that mean that you've sort of um exercised uh any interest in that style of game? So like the layers of fears, etc. You wouldn't you wouldn't be interested in those?
1: No, I, I would be. And I think um there's a few things coming down the pike which I'm I'm you know, like when we were talking about all the games at E3, um, and they were all um uh Dead Space likes. <laughs> oh yeah. And I like when we spoke about that, I would probably be like, No, they're not for me. But actually now I'm thinking, you know, there's a whole bunch of those that actually look might be quite good fun. Yeah. I mean I'll never play PT. That game is ridiculous, but <laughs> but I'll definitely try some other
0: stuff. Let us know how you go. <laughs> okay. I will, uh, I will... be hiding behind the sofa <laughs> while you do that, I think. There's no games
1: scary games that you like?
0: Um, I, I it's it's hard. I, I I used to like scary movies a lot more than I do now. Um I find them, I, you know, I'm just not often in a psychological space where I particularly want to be terrorized, <laughs> I find. <laughs> but I find um, games particularly difficult because your participation is uh, is necessary for the game to advance. Whereas, you know, with, when you're watching a, a scary film, you can just close your eyes uh, uh, and, the, and you know, things progress uh, without your need to participate in it intellectually or physically. Whereas games, I feel like, you know, the fact that you you have to, uh you have to be the one to open the spooky door to the basement is there, it's too much for me
1: <laughs> i will say that one of the scariest games i've ever played is minecraft <laughs> like that game has a lot of jump scares in it
0: <laughs> uh, does it <laughs> yeah when they're like so. when you
1: when you're walking around at night and the fizzy pop man goes pop right oh, behind yeah. you that scared the absolute shit out of me a bunch of times
0: <laughs> sorry my cat is uh, attempting to get my attention in every possible way Poor she Fitzger- can <laughs> <laughs> um I think I think it might be her dinner time, so we oh. might we might have to call it there. That's all good. Uh, uh if you'd like to send us a question, you can do so at questions at Crate and Crowbar. You can tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube where you can find other nonsense by us. The address for that is youtube.com. Slash Creighton Crowbar. Thanks as always to our backers on Patreon. You can back us too at Patreon.com/Slash Creighton Crowbar, or you can simply join our lovely Discord community. Uh, the link for which is on our website, CreightonCrowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Jane Britton. Fare thee well.